Hi, welcome to Your Cron, short for Your Chronicles. I'm your host, Scott Pitney. Your Cron is a podcast where we chronicle ordinary people and their extraordinary stories. We refer to ordinary people on this show as people who are non-celebrities. Our goal is simple, entertain our audience and perhaps even inspire and educate. At the same time, our guests build a part of their legacy through this unique audio opportunity. So let's get right to our next extraordinary story. I've really been looking forward to having our next guest on your crime. Heidi Craig's near-death experience, NDE, occurred on May 29, 2004, after having her youngest son. Her heart stopped while she was in the OR and she woke up in heaven, or what she likes to call home. Heidi says that there are no words to truly express the feelings of love, joy, peace, warmth, and contentment that she experienced. She received three messages over and over again. It is because of those messages that she wants to share her story and spread the messages of peace and love that she received. Heidi wrote a book of affirmations in December 2017 based on her NDE called Messages from Heaven, subtitled The Little Book of Affirmations Based on the Truth of a Near-Death Experience. And she's been interviewed by Anthony Sheen, which can be seen on YouTube. And of course, the links to Heidi's book and interview will be posted on yourcron.com. Heidi's goal is to help at least one person. Heidi, welcome to your crown. Good morning. You know, I'm just, I want to thank you. I'm very honored that you um, asked for me to come on and, and talk with you and share my story. So thank you very much and good morning. Yes. Well, thank you for being here. So where is a good place to start your very extraordinary story? Well, I probably, I had a near-death experience. And I think probably a good place for us to start. Um, I had a near-death experience uh, back in 2004 after the birth of my youngest son. Um, And uh, it was quite interesting. It's taken many, many years to integrate and understand um, why I had the experience. And um, I'm ready to share it and share the messages that I received during my experience. Take us back to um, May 29th, 2004. What what do you recall on that day and, and leading up to going into labor? Okay, it was uh, May 29th. It was Memorial Weekend. It was a, a beautiful, sunshiny day. Uh, I woke up that day and I was in labor. Uh, the labor was different from my other... Um, pregnancies and that when I laid down or when I sat down, I was in immense pain. There was immense pressure. Um, so I remember um, I ate my breakfast standing up. Um, I, I just walked through all the contractions. On the way to the hospital, I propped myself up with my arms to alleviate sitting all the way down to avoid putting pressure. Uh, I remember getting to the hospital and I did not want to sit in the wheelchair. They make you sit in a wheelchair to admit you. Um, and I was, I was told them I was in this pain and they told me if I wanted to be admitted, I had to sit. So I sat through that. We get through a mission. We finally made it up into the labor and delivery room. Um, I was standing next to the bed. Um, I was breathing through a contraction and my water broke. And at that point, the nurse turned and she looked at me and she told me that both doctors that were on call that morning were delivering uh, twins and C-sections and that she would be delivering my baby. And I knew, I instantly knew that this is not going to go well, that there was something off, something was wrong. Um, I did tell her that I wanted to stand up to deliver the baby. I just had that intuition that you need to stand because of the, the pressure and the pain when I lay down or when I sat down. I told her I wanted to deliver standing up. She told me, absolutely not. You want to have this baby, you have to lie down. So I laid down and the pain was, uh, it was horrific. It was through my entire body, you know, my head through my toes. Um, I felt like I was going to die, and I just wanted him out. I wanted the baby out. Um, So I told her I have to push. 
she she told me I could, and it was literally just a couple pushes later, and my beautiful son was born. Um, they handed him to me. I, I got to hold him and smell him and kiss him and, and tell him I love him. They took him to um, clean him up, check on his vitals. I don't know how much time passed from when they took him over to check on him to when the nurse walked back over. Um, but she told me that I could push to deliver the placenta. And I pushed, nothing happened. Again, I pushed, nothing happened. So on the third try, she pulled on the umbilical cord at the same time I pushed. And again, the pain just shot through my body. She did that two to three more times and I was in tears and I was begging for her to stop. Um, and at that point, I, I noticed there was an energy shift. The, the energy in the room changed. And um, everybody started to move very quickly. They were talking very quietly. I heard the nurse say to the doctor. Um, the doctor came into the room and I, I saw them have a you know very quick, quiet conversation. He walked over, over to me. He asked me to push and pulled on the umbilical cord. Same result. Nothing happened. Um, he did that two more times and then on the fourth try he pulled and the umbilical cord came off. So now I had the placenta inside me, no umbilical cord attached. So he manually tried to remove the placenta. So he reached his hand inside and tried to, to remove the placenta as I pushed. And again, the pain, the, it was just awful. Um, so at that point, he, he made the decision to call the anesthesiologist. Anesthesiologist came into the room, gave me this uh, little tablet, and I, I have what's called um, MVP, mitral valve prolapse. And that's when your left atrium of your heart opens up on the heart's contraction like a parachute. And he gave me this little tablet to dissolve under my tongue, told me that it would help with the pain. It didn't help with the pain. Um, doctor tried again to manually remove the placenta. It didn't work, so at that point, they made the decision to take me into the OR to remove it because it was becoming a dire situation. I was bleeding out, and they, they needed me to get me into the OR. So I do remember as they were rolling me into the OR, I, I had one thought only, and that was to tell my husband not to leave the baby, that no matter what, he needed to stay with the baby. And it was such a strong um, message in my head. You know, I had to voice it to my, my husband, stay with him no matter what. Wherever they take him, you go with him. And they were rolling me into the OR, and I remember it was just so surreal. It wasn't like how I'd seen it on TV. It was very, it was square and um, silver and sterile, and it was just, it was surreal. They rolled me in there. Um, the anesthesiologist placed the oxygen mask over my face, told me to count backwards from 100. And as I was doing that, again, I had a thought, stay awake, don't go to sleep. You have to stay awake. And you can't, you can't fight that. I was out instantly. Um, and when I woke up, I was in heaven. And I like to call it home. So I may refer to it at home <laughs> um, because it feels like it's, it's home. It's where we're from in my experience. Uh, I woke up and I, I kind of have to explain that um, for me, it, everything happened at the same time. So I'm going to try to put it in chronological order for sure. everyone to understand. Sure. And can, time there. Yeah. Sorry. I, I just want to, but before we uh, go there, I, I want to, I've got a couple of follow-up questions from, um, from what you've said so far. So going back to uh, the nurse being uh, telling you that I'm the one delivering your baby. Um, and you said that you had a bad feeling. Was that before she said that or, or after? Cause I would think, I mean, that would just be terrible to go. Okay. There's nothing, there's not going to be a doctor. I mean, no, no offense to any nurses. I just, um, Kind of talk about that a little bit. Where, where was that feeling coming from? Is that after she told you that she was delivering the baby? Well, it was it was kind of both because this mm. this this um, up to that point it was so different from my previous you know labors. Mm -hmm. um, having this pressure that I didn't have before and that pain when I sat out or I laid down. So you know that your intuition you know mm -hmm. always listens to your intuition and it mm -hmm. just felt like this is off. This is a little strange. Not, not knowing what was going to happen, but then definitely when the nurse told me that she was delivering the baby, and again, nurses are incredible, but mm -hmm. immediately I knew 
this is not going to go well. This is, right. <laughs> this is just going to turn out a lot differently than what you're expecting. And you, you may have mentioned this, Heidi. I apologize if I missed it, but uh, w- was there a discussion of an epidural being administered? Because you were in a lot of pain, obviously. Uh, there was no there was no discussion because it was too late. When I mm. when I got there and when I was standing at the, at the bed originally, we just got into the labor and delivery room and my water broke. Mm-hmm. And I was I was already dilated. So mm. there was no there was no option for an epidural at that point. Yeah. I wanted one. <laughs> but there was no I'm option. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so uh uh, yeah, you were about to uh, start uh, breaking down the, the actual NDE for us, I believe. Yes. So um, so I was explaining that time there doesn't exist as it does here. There's no time constraints. It doesn't exist. So everything that was happening to me was happening simultaneously. It was happening all at the same time, um, which is really hard to wrap your mind around. So I'm going to, in, in the best way that I can, try to put it in a chronological order so it's, it's easier to understand. So I remember um, waking up. And I was surrounded. I was like in the center of a circle. And I was surrounded by beautiful uh, beings, angelic beings. I was surrounded by angels. I was surrounded by my loved ones who had passed, including animals that had passed. Um, I was surrounded by Mother Mary, by Jesus, and by God. And in fact, um, we were all part of God. We're all one. So... I, I woke up and I'm surrounded by these beings and I had an initial thought and that was where am I? But even before I could get that thought out of my head, I had this um, uh, immense, um, beautiful feeling of uh, I was home and uh, I was bathed in this warm, beautiful, white, golden light. Um, the, the light uh, was the most beautiful light and there's no words in our language to articulate it um we just don't have the vocabulary to articulate the 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 sights the sounds the feelings um but it was a a, the golden white light and i felt this immense happiness contentment um i felt this peace um the best way that i can explain or describe the light is it was like the the softest um and warmest cashmere blanket that you can imagine or sweater that's being that was infused with a golden sunshine that's being wrapped around your body Mm -hmm. that's the best way that i can explain it Mm -hmm. um also the light was bubbly it was sparkling it was effervescent kind of like champagne Mm -hmm. just like really little tiny bubbles and so it's this energy um and i i immediately knew that we're all connected that we were all one and i knew that i was home and it was an instant. And when I did have a question, and everything was communicated by thought, there was no words that were spoken. It was communicated by thought. Even before I could get the first uh, word in my mind out, the question was immediately answered. It was that. It was that fast. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was. I was receiving messages, and I was receiving three messages over and over again, and and I was receiving them at the same time. And they are, you know, when I, I, when I talk about it and I talk about the messages, they seem really, really simple. It seems like common sense, um, but they're very, very powerful. And I've taken those messages because it's taken me many, many years to understand why I had the experience and why I was given those messages. It took me many years to integrate it. Um, and I use those now as affirmations daily, which affirmations are huge for me. But those messages were, um, were unconditionally loved. Um, that everything's always how it's supposed to be and and that everything will always be all right. And I knew, I knew that if I didn't go home, that my beautiful babies would be okay. I knew my husband would be okay. I knew my friends and my family would be okay. I just had this instant knowing and it's, um, and it's not just a knowing, it's a feeling, you know, this feeling of this unconditional love that sweeps through your body um, again, it's so hard to articulate because we don't have the words, we don't have the vocabulary for it, but it was um, a feeling of, of exhaling, of, of finding my center, and of knowing that I was safe and sound. It was just beautiful, and there's no 
there was no judgment, there was no cruelty, there was no anger, there was no hate. It was just pure, unconditional love and joy and peace and creativity. Um, that, that's what I was bathed in. Every um, being, so I could see an outline of them, but it wasn't really based on the physical because I knew I was me, but I had no body. You know, I was my soul, I was my essence. And so were these beautiful beings that uh, were surrounding me. And we all had our own rate of vibration. We all had our own beautiful color. And so when Jesus stepped forward, it was more like he was um, sending his energy out to me, wrapping me in his energy. And based on that feeling, I knew that it was him. And the same with Mother Mary, the same with, with God. And so all of our energies, all of our bright vibrations um, merged together and they made this beautiful pattern. They would weave in and out of each other. Um, it was like a like a beautiful harmonic progression. Like they just went in and out of each other. And together, all of our bright vibrations, all of our colors made up this be- beautiful, warm, golden white light that we were immersed in, that we were bathed in. Mm. I was, um, and again, this is hard because everything happened at the same time, so I'm kind of trying to break it down. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was shown the paths of uh, myself. I, I was shown the paths of everything and everyone. And I, again, immediately knew why everything had happened. At the same time, I was shown that we have free will. I was shown that we have soul contracts, that we choose the life, that we choose the life that we come into, um, and why we chose it. There's certain lessons that we're here to learn, that we're here to experience, so that our souls evolve. So we become closer to God. We raise our vibrations through each life and we get higher. I was shown that we have multiple lives that we reincarnate. Um, I, I was shown that, and I kind of just give you some information, some background on my religious upbringing. Mm-hmm, sure. So um, I was, I was, um, I was baptized Catholic, but I was raised Lutheran. Mm-hmm. And, and in high school, I kind of started, not kind of, I did start separating from the church um, because I saw too much hypocrisy and it didn't make sense to me. And I didn't understand some of the things that I was being taught to what I was seeing adults and their actions and what they were doing. So I started separating from the church when I was a teenager because it just it didn't make sense and it didn't resonate with me. Some of the information that I was receiving and what they were, some of the, of the teachings. Mm-hmm. that they were they were giving to me mm-hmm. so I started to separate but when I first woke up in heaven um, you know Jesus and Mother Mary presented themselves to me and that's because of how I was raised my upbringing but when you when you go home um, whatever resonates with you is how they're going to present themselves to you though Jesus is real Mother Mary is real but if I was a Buddhist Buddha would have come through for mm-hmm. me mm-hmm. but I was shown that uh, all religion is correct. It's just been interpreted interpreted incorrectly by man um, hmm. over the ages, centuries, due to greed, due to power, um, you know, due to agenda. Mm-hmm. So I no longer, and this is just my, based on my experience and my beliefs, you know, the experience I went through, I no longer believe in organized religion. That's just me. But I... I respect everyone's beliefs, but for me, because of my experience, I don't believe in organized religion anymore. Mm. Um, I don't believe that you need to go to a building um, and and worship, that you can worship from anywhere, that you can pray at any time, and you can um, just be a good person and Mm -hmm. be kind and compassionate and loving and caring. Mm -hmm. And you you mentioned uh, reincarnation. Um, What... What do you remember about reincarnation? Because uh, what I'm hearing so far is your soul is in heaven or home. Um, but uh, reincarnation, uh, at least in, in my mind, is something to the fact that, that you come back to earth as another being. So what when you mention reincarnation, can you kind of put that into any type of context we could understand a little better? multiple dimensions so you can have multiple lives at, at multiple times mm-hmm. but 
and I know this is so hard. It's really hard to explain. Um, <laughs> You're doing fine. But it's, it's for me, <laughs> for me, it's coming back. So you too, so you, you pass away. Our physical body is just a suit. Like think of it like a wetsuit. Mm-hmm. And when we, we pass away or pass over and we go home, that physical body is no longer um, uh, alive and active. And, you know, it, it, we shed that. But our essence, our being, our soul transcends that. And we, we still live. We still go on. Mm-hmm. And so we have the choice that we can come back. We can stay and have been our home, or we have the choice that if we want to evolve our soul and we want to learn more lessons, that we can come back um, in a, as, as a different person, male or female, um, at, in a different time, depending on what lesson we want to learn, we can choose to come back and have another life to, to, to learn our lessons, mm-hmm. you know, that we choose to learn. And again, it's our choice. You also uh, mentioned the angels, Heidi. What did the angels look like? Did they did they have um, a physical presence to them, or I'm sorry, did they have a physical? They did uh, again. Yeah. Well, so every every when I when I first woke up and they presented themselves with a physical outline, mm-hmm. but um, and that was just so I could get acclimated and so I could wrap my head around and understand. Mm-hmm. You know, in that instant moment, what was happening and what was going on, because it was instant. I instantly knew that I was home and safe and, and who these these um, divine beings were. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, it's the um, the vibration, the energy. Mm-hmm. So, um, you, you yes, you can have a physical appearance, mm-hmm. um, and and they're beautiful. And again, it, um, it's so hard to explain. Um, because each being has their own energy, their own vibration, their own color, mm-hmm. they, they all looked different mm-hmm. to me. Um, but it wasn't more of a, it was more of a, a, a feeling through my entire being, my essence of this, of this person and who they were at a soul level than a physical. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Did I answer your question? <laughs> no. You did. No, you, you absolutely did. Uh, as you can imagine, it is difficult uh, not having experienced that, you know, personally to uh, to get one's yeah. head around it. But uh, but anyway, that's why we're having this conversation to, to do the best job that, that we can. And you are doing fantastic. Um so you described the the entrance into heaven and home was was instantaneous, and uh, which is interesting because uh, you know I've read other NDE stories, and, and one of them I remember vividly that uh, he described it was a struggle to get to that state. That he was in, he felt like a worm that was trapped in kind of a a dark area and there were these red veins and he kept hearing this uh, anvil pounding sound and this went on and on and on and then he was very scared and then he burst through and what he described is very similar to what you described except uh, you know no body soul uh, bright beautiful lights no words to describe it uh, he was flying he was accompanied by angels and so forth but it, it was it was not instantaneous he was just uh, you know, he had to go through this, um, I don't know, dirt or whatever, however you described it. Uh, so I find that interesting that, that yours was instantaneous. So that was going into your NDE, NDE was instantaneous. What about coming out of it? What, what do you remember when you came back to uh, your conscious state? Yes, absolutely. What you're talking about. Yeah, that's why I brought it up. The, the worms. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, so um, I was shown um, that we have life reviews. Mm. And I did not have a life review, even though I was shown my past. I wasn't, I wasn't, I, I wasn't in the life review where I um, watched uh, everything that happened to me in the past. And um, a life review is, so, so when we go home, we're not being judged. There's not a panel of um, higher beings or God that's judging us. We are 
we sit down and we have a life review and the life review is we're sitting there from when we're born to up into the point where where we we came home we we, you know we passed we crossed over Mm -hmm. we're watching and it's not just watching we're feeling every feeling every emotion that we caused anyone by our actions by our words by our thoughts we have to experience and feel what they went through what we put them through and so we are having this life review we are feeling everything that we've done to ourselves plus what we've done to anyone else good or bad Mm -hmm. and we have to and we're not judging ourselves critically or with anger or with disgust or with hate we're judging ourselves with compassion and love and like oh okay now i understand but we at the same time you have to heal you have to heal from that and it takes some souls longer than others based on what they've done in that life to, to heal um, also our beliefs before we pass are going to have a huge part because we're still in that 3d world when we pass we're still in that ego are going to have a huge part of what we experience when we cross over so um, if, if you've done some maybe some things that you're not so proud of that that you're scared of being judged for um, you might create um, an entrance, you know, going home, that's going to be a little bit different than uh, a light and going through a tunnel, you know, and, uh, or just waking up in your home, you might experience a lower vibration, mm-hmm. a lower energy, a lower level. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's up to you to get out of that and to accept the light and accept the love and to go home and to go home and to go into that. Mm-hmm. If that made any sense. No, that really, yeah, no, that, that clears it up. I'm glad you explained that because it's interesting that there's naturally some differences uh, with, between uh, different uh, NDE stories, but there's similarities, a lot of similarities as well. We, are, I mean, even when we go home, we, we retain ourselves. You know, who we are at, at a core. Um, even though we are much more than what we believe we are here, we're much more beautiful souls because we're love. We're made from love. We are made from pure energy. That energy is made from pure, unconditional love, and that love is God. And we are our, our higher source. What you choose, what your belief is, what you choose to. To, to call it mm-hmm. for me, I, I, I call, I call it God, mm-hmm. um, the God source, but mm-hmm. we're so much more. So, you know, when you doubt yourself, if you're feeling down, you're feeling ugly, you're, you know, you're feeling like nothing can get any better. You're at rock bottom. You're so much more than this physical being, this 3d ego body. We're beautiful beings and we're here to love, but we're here to learn lessons. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're here. We have soul contracts. Mm-hmm. We have a soul purpose. Mm-hmm. How we choose to play that out, and if we're going to learn the same lesson over and over and over again, because we're not choosing to see the um, the blessing and that challenge, we're not choosing to learn that lesson. We're going to keep repeating the same patterns over and over again until we learn that lesson and we can move on and we don't have to deal with it mm-hmm. anymore. Interesting. To oh, go ahead. No, I, I just said interesting. Go ahead. You were going to finish a thought, I think. Well, you were asking me how I, how I came back. Yes. So I wasn't given the option to stay um, or, or I wasn't asked. I wasn't given the option. Like, do you want to stay home or do you, do you want to stay here or do you want to go back into that physical world? I wasn't given that option. For me, I would have stayed. I didn't, I didn't want to come back. I didn't want to come back to this world. Um, and I woke up to the doctor yelling at me and like, like very aggressively and mean to open my eyes, open your eyes. And instantly that warmth, that peace, that contentment was gone. I was cold. I was heavy and I was angry. I was mad at the doctor for being so mean when he was waking me up. I was mad that he woke me up. I was angry to be back in the physical world. And I, I have to say that for the first couple of weeks, I, I had so much guilt and so much shame because I wanted to go home. I had these three beautiful babies. I had this husband. I had my family and friends, but I wanted to go home. I wanted to go home to 
that warmth and that love and that peace and that contentment. And I knew that everyone would be okay. You know, if I did, I wanted to go home. So initially I had those feelings and I had to work through that. Why, why the, like, why the guilt in the, a couple of weeks. I'm sorry. What, why the guilt and the shame? What, what were you feeling shameful um, about? Yeah. Well, cause I was back at my 3d ego body mm-hmm. and, um, I just felt like if anybody knew how I was feeling, mm-hmm. you know, that if they knew I had this experience and I was feeling that I don't want to be here and I have these three beautiful little babies to take mm-hmm. care of mm-hmm. that they would look at me and judge me, mm-hmm. you know, and be like, that's crazy. How could you think that? Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was back in the, this physical world. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You mentioned in your previous interview the many challenges since the NDE occurred, divorce, um, financial hardships, even at one point almost living out of your car. Heidi, do you do you tie the hardships to your NDE? Is there a connection there? Most definitely. Uh, is it okay if I give you some history up, uh, up until... The, my my experience up until the NDE. Please do. Yes, mm-hmm. of course. Okay, yes. I I had challenges before my NDE, and actually up up to that point, I really had lost faith and I had lost hope. Mm. Um, I uh, had a very challenging childhood. Um, I don't have memory many memories from when I was a child. You know, we are the physical body is great and, and being able to block out traumatic experiences. Um, I remember an experience vividly when I was about five, six years old. I remember standing in the doorway that connected the living room to the kitchen, and I was standing there watching my parents have an argument, and my dad was standing um, behind the kitchen island, and my mom was standing in the uh, uh, dining room. It was a dining room kitchen combo, Mm -hmm. and she was standing... um, uh, in front of the door that led out to the garage that was through the dining room. And I remember the fight started to escalate and they were raising their voices and they started to scream. They were, they were yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. And my, my dad started to go crazy and he started to pick up small appliances off the island counter. He threw the blender at my mom. He threw toaster. Um, he um, got into the cabinets underneath and he was throwing pots and pans. He got into the utensils and he was throwing forks and knives and he was throwing them with such force at my mom and she was dodging them. You know, she was she was pleading with him to, to stop, begging him to stop. She was crying but he threw them with such force that when they hit the door and the wall, they left Dean's and then the door and in the wall and in fact he never replaced that door so it always served as a constant reminder of his his anger and his abuse Mm -hmm. so that's my first memory that I remember growing up is that memory and that's at five six years old Mm -hmm. um after that um my parents were divorced maybe like a year later when I was six years old and I remember staying over at my dad's house um, and I have a twin brother and my twin and I were sitting at my dad's house and again we were six years old and my dad and his uh, girlfriend that he was dating went out for the evening so it was my twin brother myself and uh, the daughter of the woman that my dad was dating who was seven or eight years old mm. and we were there alone Wow! and I remember she came up to us the, the, the daughter came up to us to, to meet my brother and she told us that my dad was hurting her and um, he was sexually assaulting her mm-hmm. and you know we're, we're children and we don't really know what that means we don't understand it we just know I just knew he was hurting her and he was it was not right mm-hmm. um, but you know we're scared we're scared of my father he was he was very manipulative very domineering mm-hmm. very he had this need for control and so, you know, we didn't do anything. We didn't say anything to anybody. We, we let that go. But my, my father, he would, you know, he would manipulate through, you know, he would tell you that how beautiful you were. And then he'd ask you to dance for him or sit on it on his lap and, or rub his back. Mm-hmm. You know, he would, um, he would be domineering um, uh, through uh, and, and controlling through abuse, you know, verbal, met- mental uh, abuse and, you know, physical abuse to my twin brother. Mm-hmm. Um, he, I remember, uh, he had this drawer of photographs. I found out, so I found out when I was about 13, 14 years old that he had remarried. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, at that t- time, he was living in a different state than we were living. And I found out that I had um, a new baby half-sister, and I had two baby step uh, stepsisters. And I also found out at that time that I had an older um, half-brother and an older half-sister that was six months older than myself and my twin. So obviously he had been cheating on his first wife with my mom, but I found all this information out. How did you find out? I I was told. Mm. I was told. Um, I can't remember. I think it was my grandfather on my dad's side that called me and and told me that my my father was remarried and then told me about my my half-siblings. And I just remember I had this um, need that I needed to meet them. And even though I knew that um, my father was a predator, I, I knew that um, he, was, he was not safe. Uh, my feeling of having to reach out and meet my siblings was more than uh, the fear that I had of him. And so I asked if I could go visit, and I went out that summer, and I spent the summer uh, with them. And I, I met these beautiful little sisters that I had, and I met my half-siblings. And I, I was sad leaving because I knew that, um, you know, going leaving them, I would probably never see them again because I couldn't be around my father. Um, I was seeing signs. I was seeing signs of what I saw in my household growing up. And I mean, there are definite signs of a predator, you know, of a, of, of a pedophile. And my father was a pedophile. And we'll get to that in a minute. Um, but I remember that there was this drawer in, in the kitchen. And this drawer was filled up hundreds of photographs of the girls. And there was girls, they, they had their clothes on. You know, they were um, poses like standing there with their hands on their hips or, you know, laying on the couch. And and an outsider looking in, they would look perfectly innocent. You wouldn't think anything of it. But to my father, who was sick, who was um, a child molester, that was like porn for him. And there was hundreds of those photographs. And they were right there in the kitchen drawer. Um, Every home that he owned or that he uh, rented, that he lived in, had an obscure room that all it had in it was a mattress and a lock on the door. And including this home and this state had this room. It it was a state where it it was a Gulf state and the homes were on stilts. And um, most people, you know, that's open. And you're down there and you barbecue and you use that space. Well, he was a contractor and he had walled it in. And the washer and dryer was down there. And then there's that one room. Had no windows in it, just a door with a lock and a mattress in it. So there are, there's patterns, and I was noticing those patterns. And I went home, got on with my life, and, and for years I just had this nagging feeling that, you know, he, my father may be hurting my sisters. And so uh, around 19 years old, I devised this plan. At this time, by around this time, they had moved back to the state where I was living with my family, with my mom and that side of the family. Mm-hmm. They had moved back mm-hmm. um, and they were just a couple cities away. They're only about 45 minutes away. Um, so I, I came up with this plan that I was gonna call my father and ask him if I could come visit the girls because it had been many years um, and take them to the park to spend some time with them. And I remember driving there and I picked up the girls and we went to the park and I went there with one thing only and I wanted to find out if my dad was hurting them. So I asked my um, my uh, half or my step sisters, and I took them separately, and I asked them, you know, hey, has Dad ever hurt you? And I tried to do it in a way that, you know, wasn't gonna scare them, or because if he wasn't, I didn't want to create any trouble or, or or create any undue stress to them. Mm-hmm. So I asked them if he'd ever Dad had ever hurt them, and they told me no. And I chose to believe that, even though I knew deep down inside that he was probably hurting him but how, how old again, were they i ignore the uh i was 19 so probably like nine and seven mm-hmm. um and maybe three mm. the, the youngest mm-hmm. the, the baby my half sister mm-hmm. um so that they were still they were still pretty young but i did notice again the patterns like my father every woman he dated had a young daughter mm. every woman he dated had a young daughter so, um, when I was 26, I married my ex-husband and he is a high, 
She was a high-functioning alcoholic, a womanizer, uh, a narcissist. So I went from, um, you know, growing up in an abusive environment, and I continued with that pattern, and I married into an abusive environment. At that time, I didn't know that. I didn't know why, but I married into it. Um, I don't. I wouldn't change it for the world because I, you know, he taught me so much, and he taught me so much about life through our relationship together. And I have three beautiful, amazing boys that came out of that relationship, so I wouldn't change that for the world. But I married him, and in 1999, I was pregnant with my first son. Um, I had been on bed rest because I went into preterm labor and I, I remember I got a phone call from my um, oldest sister and my, so, and also to give you some background. So my mom, when she was married to my father had, I have two older half sisters, um, and they have a different dad, but we have the same mom. And I found out years later that the reason they were divorced was because he was molesting my two older half sisters. Man. So, yeah. So, yeah. It's it's just one big mess. But I was, so I was 1999, mm. and um, I'm pregnant. I'm on bed rest. I get a call from my oldest sister, who he had molested, and um, she tells me that Jerry um, has been in trial. That um, he is being sentenced, and that they did they chose not to tell me that he was going to trial. Um, for child molestation um, because they were afraid that I might deliver early because I had been on bed rest and because of the preterm labor. But she did tell me that I had the option to write a letter to the judge. I I chose to take that option. I wrote a letter. I submitted it to the judge. Um, I requested, um, you know, that he get the maximum sentence. Um, And a couple weeks later, he was sentenced. He was convicted as a child molester, as a pedophile. He was convicted for 44 years which was the maximum sentence in that state we were at at that time. He's currently serving um, until 2036, I believe August of 2036. So he's been in prison since 1999. Um, So I had all these challenges up until my experience and I kind of lost faith, I kind of lost hope. And I was angry, I was angry at God. I always knew for me that there was a higher source that I called God. And I always felt presence around me, angels around me, God around me. But there was years there that I was angry and I didn't pray or I didn't talk to, to God because mm-hmm. I had been through so much and I had seen so much and I felt so much pain mm-hmm. that he is, that he had caused. Um, so I had lost hope. I had lost faith. And then I had my near-death experience and I had hope again. You know, I had faith again because there were times when I had these people around me in my life, but I felt so alone mm-hmm. and I felt, I felt so unworthy and I felt so unloved. And so those messages and, and to be reminded, to, to be given that gift of going home, to be reminded that you're unconditionally loved. We're unconditionally loved. You're never alone. Mm-hmm. And we're, we're never alone. And, and things will always be okay. You know, it, they're always the way that they're supposed to be, and it will be all right. To, to, to know that, I had hope and I had faith again. So it really helped me to start healing from my past, from that childhood. Um, and I, up to that point, um, I had no self-worth. I had no self-love. I had no self-esteem. I, I was in these relationships where I, I didn't have a voice. I was a doormat. And so I started to make positive changes. I started to learn to love myself. You know, I started to, to, to figure out who I was as a person, you know, what I like to do and what interested me. And, you know, I, I started to, to change. And so because I was making these positive changes um, and, and because I, I was learning things about myself and I refused to be a doormat, I refused to, to be voiceless, mm-hmm. I lost some of my friends and family along the way because the changes were just too much for them. You know, I wasn't this timid person anymore that they could walk all over or dump their issues on. I wasn't going to take it anymore. Um, so I started changing. I started making positive changes um, three years after my experience, my ex, my husband and I got a divorce. Um, and I had some challenging times after that. I experienced uh, financial hardship. 
like like you had said, um, I had experienced loss. I I lost my mom. I lost my and I'm a huge huge animal lover. I lost my cat of 19 years. I lost my dog of seven years. I lost my grandfather. I lost my grandmother. Um, I had all this hardship. I was laid off three times within seven years after I was divorced. I had to cash out my retirement. I had to use my savings. Um, I was in financial distress. I remember one one night in particular, I, I received a letter. I got home and there's this letter in my mailbox from my landlord. And uh, my rent was going up from 1900 to $2,100 a month. And I, I didn't know what I was going to do. I couldn't pay my bills, let alone that increase in my rent. I was putting out more than I was bringing in. Um, and I fell to my knees and I was crying and I was praying and I was begging to God, like, please, please help me. Because again, in that moment, I just had this despair and I'm, I'm in that ego three three moment. And I clearly heard outside my mind those three messages. You're unconditionally loved. Everything's going to be all right. Everything's how it's supposed to be. And I knew I, I stopped crying. I picked myself up and I knew I was going to be okay. I woke up the next morning. I went, and this is crazy. I went to the phone book and I had been looking for a new place to live actually since December. And I think this was March because I had been laid off again. And I'd been looking for a more affordable place and I had not had any results. I was. You know, I was just like, can any, can get, can it get worse? I woke up that morning. I went to the phone book. I opened up the phone book um, to this this city outside of Santa Barbara. I'm, I'm in Santa Barbara, um, and I went to the apartment complex, and it was the first one on there. And I called it, and the property management manager uh, picked up the phone, and I said, "Hi, my name is Heidi. I'm looking for an affordable apartment. I'm a single mom of three boys. Um, do you have anything?" And he's like, yeah, something just came available. It's yours if you want it. There was no credit check. He didn't even meet me in person. I drove down that day. Um, I gave him a security deposit, and then I had an affordable place to live. And a month later, we were in our new apartment. Wow. So it's it's amazing how that works. But it was I heard those messages. Yeah. And so after that, that day that that happened, those messages now have become – hugely important to me and now I practice affirmations and I truly feel that having a positive outlook um, practicing those affirmations taking that negative self-talk that we have and I still to this day you know um, and turning it into a positive really changes your outlook and changes your life and I, I truly and firmly I I believe that um, and that's when I wrote that little book and thank you for mentioning that I really I really appreciate it um, but for me, I chose this life um, because my life lessons, my soul contract, my purpose was to learn self-love and, and forgiveness. And it's taken me a long time. And forgiveness does not come easy to me. I have to practice it every day. But it took me a long time. And I was able to forgive. And I was bullied because I was a people pleaser. I'm an empath. I didn't know that when I was young. Um, but so I was bullied through grade school, through high school. I finally was able to forgive my bullies. I was able to forgive my ex-husband and his family. And I was finally able to forgive my father. Mm. And when I was able to forgive, um, I was able to cut those bonds, cut that negativity that held me in that space. And I was able to move forward. And I feel like I'm stronger because of it. I'm wiser because of it. Um, and, and, so I feel, based on my experience, you know, we choose lessons, we choose lives to come into to learn lessons, and our goal, and, and we are love. We're here to love and be kind to each other. Mm -hmm. It's just, you know, we get into this body and we forget where we're from and who we are. Yeah. And, and we have free will. You can be kind or you can be cruel. It's your choice. It's your choice, yeah. We are very excited to have a new sponsor at Yorkron. Luxury men's clothing lines Thaddeus and Tad are now combined on one website. They belong to the same family. They share DNA. Might as well have their clothes all in the same place too. Both brands are typically sold at Nordstrom's, Bergdorf's, and unique upscale boutiques. 
but you can find them online at thaddeusandted.com. Thaddeus, the uncle, is a collection of sportswear for the man who always arrives well-dressed, but sometimes breaks the rules. Quality fabrics are important, but so are comfort, fit, and details. Some of the pieces are washed and weathered, others more crisp. Thaddeus is designed for the man who is current and comfortable in his own skin. Tad, the younger nephew, is more rugged, more washed and weathered, but willing to learn from the past. Tad is the nephew of Thaddeus, sharing the same namesake and DNA, but interpreted for a new generation of sportswear. Tad is more casual, suggesting a more worn-in, easy look. The fit is slightly slimmer and trimmer. Tad fits the mind and body of a man who wants to put his own stamp on the traditions he has inherited. For menswear that is a tad dressy and a tad disheveled, shop online at ThaddeusandTad.com. I want to go back to something um, that uh, when when you were in your in your lowest point of despair, Heidi, um, and having experienced NDE, and as you described before, coming out of it, you were almost angry because you you didn't you didn't you wanted to stay home. Uh, in that moment of despair, did you think about at all of, of taking your own life to to go back home? No, never. Because at the same time, I knew that I still had many lessons to learn. Mm -hmm. And I also knew that I needed to be here for my children to help raise them, Mm -hmm. that they needed, they needed my guidance. They needed my wisdom, what Mm -hmm. I was learning. They needed to see someone who had no self-worth, no self-identity and turn that into a positive and become somebody that had self-love and have a self-identity they, they needed to experience and then they needed to see that so no I never I never had that thought that I'm I want to go home so badly that I was going to take my own life yeah no. and then you mentioned that you um did forgive your father um he's he's in prison uh have you reached out to him have you written him any any action since the forgiveness No, he, in the first couple of years um, in prison, he would reach out and he would send letters to me. I did respond a couple times, but his letters were so manip- manipulative. He, he still was trying to manipulate and control me and he wanted things from me. He wanted me to send him certain books and, um, and the books had children in them. And, 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 you know, and so, no, I had to stop that. You know, there's some people, um, we, even though we come in and we have a biological parent or parents um, and we have a family, sometimes, you know, you have to create your own family and that, you know, you, you know who your tribe is, you know, based on the energy that you feel from them and who supports you and who loves you and who wants to bring out the best in you. And there are some people and even family that are toxic and you just have to cut that off. You have to let them go. Mm-hmm. And so I forgave him, but I, I let him go. I had to let him go. Right. And so... You mentioned uh, in your interview that um, you you are no longer afraid of death. Um, how did you feel about death prior to your NDE, or did you even did you think much about uh, it ever? I was, I was, yeah, I actually did. Mm-hmm. I, I was afraid, I, not so much because I always knew that there was heaven. Mm-hmm. I always knew I would go home. And in fact, I never. I had a really hard time. I, I struggled with the belief of hell. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I knew I was always going to go to heaven. Mm-hmm. Uh, before before my NDE, it, it called it heaven, um, not home. I called it heaven. Mm-hmm. I knew I was going to go to heaven. I I always knew that we 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 transcended these physical bodies. I always knew that there was an essence, a vibration, an energy, a soul mm-hmm. that we were more than this body. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was scared of death, and I was more scared of the physical. I was more scared of the pain mm-hmm. that you would experience when you're going through the death process Mm -hmm. but I'm not even scared of that anymore because I feel like um when you're going through the physical experience you've already you're already leaving your body you're not going to feel that Mm -hmm. you're not going to feel that pain and if you do feel pain you know you get hurt and you wake up and you're in pain that's something that um 
you have to experience that you have to go through. But I, I believe that when you're actually passing over and you're, you're going home, that you, you're already, your soul's already left that physical and you're not going to feel that pain. So that, that doesn't scare me anymore. Yeah. And, and then you talked about uh, several changes you went through after uh, your NDE, talking about not letting people walk all over you and so forth. Um, were there any life experiences that uh, you said you've thought about doing for a long time, but then after this experience, you said, man, I got to get on this and I'm doing this right now. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you. Um, yeah. Well, I, I had always been interested in the paranormal. Mm-hmm. I'd always been interested in spirits, um, had a deep connection with children and with animals. And uh, when I was laid off for the third time and I had some time in there and I actually started to study spiritual modalities. Um, and that's when I, um, came across a group of people called empaths and, and which explained a lot about me. And I'm like, wow, I'm, there are other people like me. And uh, this character flaw that I've been told my whole life was a flaw that I'm too sensitive actually is a positive character trait. And for me, that was so free and liberating. It's like, wow, Mm. you know, and and this feeling like, you know, when I walk into a room and I know if I'm welcome or not, or, you know, um, I know if somebody's angry with me or if they're lying to me or, you know, globally, I can feel things that are going on. I was, it was quite eye opening. And I studied, um, angel therapy, I studied crystal resonance therapy with crystals, um, I, I, anything I could immerse myself in with spiritual modalities, I, I did, and I learned Reiki, but um, for me, it's more than just Reiki, I became a Reiki master, it, it's um, energy, it's energy healing, and I discovered that I have this ability to self-heal myself, and that I can help others to um, heal on an emotional level, I can actually physically feel people's pain, um, I can also see uh, the energy. So when I'm working with somebody, I call in the healing energy and I can see the color and where it goes in their body and where it's working. So I have that uh, ability. And for a while, I had a little hobby business. It was called Ace Holistic Healing, where I used, and it was Ace for Angel Assistance, um, uh, Crystal Resonance Therapy, and Energy Healing. I use my connection to the angels. Um, my experience and what I learned to help my clients. And I did that for a couple years. Um, I don't, I no longer do that. Um, but it, cause you know, life gets in the way and we get static and you really have to be connected to, to be able to do that type of work for me anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, and it takes a lot of energy. So I no longer do that. Cause you know, I work full time now. I have one son in college. I have two still at home. Um, and you know, it gets static key and that connection, life gets in the way and you really have to be devoted. You know, you have to go into that space of clearing your mind and meditation and having that connection and eating healthy, living, you know, working out to stay clean so you can actually really help these, help these people, um, that you're working with. Um, but yeah, so I discovered that I love all these things. And in fact now, and I found out about your program because I listened to Claire's, um, podcast that you did um, on Claire and her animal communication mm-hmm. and I'm actually one of her students and I'm really excited and I'm passionate now about animal communication yeah. um, and I and I love it so yeah. yeah I have all these things I love now that I never would have done 10 years ago yeah. you know I would have been like oh that's just too crazy and too spiritual and too out there and now for me it's just normal and mm-hmm. natural and you know well shout out to Claire and uh, also, uh, yeah, Dylan, yeah we, we had Dylan uh, as a guest, too. He, he's an impasse. So I don't know if you happen to catch his podcast, but that may be one that uh, would be of interest to you. I, will, I want to go through and I want to watch them all. But yeah. no, I haven't watched it yet. Yeah. So uh, going to the book, what inspired you to write the book, uh, Heidi? And, and how did you enjoy the process? to my guides um, and I talk with them daily and I have uh, four or five main guides um, that I work with um, and I woke up one morning and my guide and her name is Sun she's Native America she's my main guide she's with me until I go home again um, and she actually was my older sister in a past life and we were Native Americans and she took care of me um, son, I woke up one morning and she told me, you have to write a book about affirmations. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to, it wants, you know, it needs to be affordable, but you need to put those messages, that gift that you were given 
out there because um, it's going to help somebody. And I literally woke up and um, I wrote the book in like a couple weeks. Uh, what's interesting again about that is um, I had been going to uh, a, a, a group in Santa Barbara uh, where uh, it's a platform if you've had a near-death experience mm-hmm. uh, that you can talk about your near-death experience. Um, and uh, one of my really good dear friends is the organizer of the Santa Barbara group mm-hmm. asked me to share my story. And that's the first time I had ever talked about my life to anyone besides my sisters and shared my story, which was very scary because that's vulnerable. You know, you have a pedophile for your father. You had a challenging, abusive childhood, you know, had an abusive marriage. So to put that out there is very scary. And I didn't know how people was going to react to it, but I told my story and the love and support that I felt was overwhelming. Mm. And there was a woman there, my editor, uh, Nancy Keller, um, who told me, who came up to me because I had mentioned that I had been writing a book since 2013 and and I am still writing a book, a huge book about my whole life. Mm. It'll it'll talk about my near-death experience, but it's more about growing up with a pedophile Mm. as a father and Mm. and those patterns and those challenges. but she came up to me. She's like, I really would like to help you finish your book. And I would be more than happy to edit your book for you for free. So I reached out to her and I said, I'm writing this little book. It's going to be very small, only 40 to 50 pages. She's like, perfect. She's like, you write it, you send it over to me. And so it happened really fit, you know, quickly and I self-published it and I have it out there. You know, it's not a huge seller, but I feel like it's going to get to who needs to, it needs to get to to get those messages. Right. You know, to give them that hope, to give them that, that little bit of peace, maybe, and, and maybe some faith. Yeah. Great, great. But I really enjoyed it. I enjoyed the process of that book. It yeah. was a lot of fun. Any, any quick uh, hit pieces of advice for any of our listeners that may be considering writing a book? Uh, definitely self-publish. Mm-hmm. Um, if, you, if you go through a, a publisher... Um, you lose a lot of the rights and they're going to make most of the money off of that. And it's so simple to self-publish. It's very, very easy, simple, simple process that you can do on your own. I do recommend though that you get an editor because you, you know, you want people to take your work seriously. So you don't want to have a, you know, a a spelling error in your book and you want to make sure that the story flows cohesively and, um, you know, it makes sense. So I definitely recommend an editor, mm-hmm. um, but definitely self-published. Yeah. Did you do any uh, editing yourself or did you just kind of get it out of your head and just give it to your editor and let, let the editor do their magic? <laughs> I'm not a writer. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm a professional writer. So I let, I, I just, you know, sent it, yeah. I emailed it to Nancy yeah. and she would make her notes and she'd be, make the corrections and, and, and what was so great about Nancy and she's, She's, she's an earth angel, basically. You know, mm-hmm. you run into those people in your life that are just, they're angels and they're here to, to help you. Mm-hmm. Um, and she basically did the correction. But I feel like it was, if it was like my 450, 500 page book, I would be making those corrections. But it was such a small book that she went ahead and made those corrections for mm-hmm. me. So she made it really easy, Good. really easy for me. But yeah. no, she, she did the editing. She did the corrections on it. And do you have a... Um website or, or a source for self-publishing that you would recommend? Um, yes. And what's so funny is I was going to say that I wanted to give you the, the name of the, the site I used, which is through Amazon and I can't, it's escaping my create space. Was it create space? Yes. Thank you. (laughs) Okay. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I'm like, why can't I was looking for a book to to, to look at it. Yes. And, it's, they're they're incredible, and I sell. You have different um, uh, lines that you can sell through, mm-hmm. um, uh, and I just do it through uh, Amazon and Kindle. Okay. So the the more the more channels of distribution that you go through, mm-hmm. the more you have to raise the cost of your book. And I want it to be accessible to everybody. I think it's four ninety nine on um, Amazon and two ninety nine on Kindle. Yeah, I, I, I knew of Create Space, but I asked you that question because there may be some others that I don't know about, but I've heard some really good things about Create Space for anyone that wants to self-publish a book and uh, good advice. Uh, send it to the editor, editor and, and, you know, let them worry about yeah. all the small stuff, the grammar, yeah. well, which is actually big <laughs> stuff, but <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and Create Space is 
amazing. You can, you know, create a template where they have their own cover mm-hmm. and you can use their covers or you can upload your own and their customer service, their support is excellent. So I highly, highly recommend CreateSpace. And for my second book, I will be using, I'll be publishing through CreateSpace. Oh. So shout out to them. Yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you for that tip. So, um, well, Heidi, thank you so much for for being uh, a guest on your cron that was absolutely fascinating and uh and sharing your story with us and uh, i know some of the parts of your story are not easy to share so really appreciate you being on today and, and sharing that with us and and of course i like to ask my guests uh this question to to wrap things up if you're children grandchildren or even great-grandchildren are listening to this podcast uh sometime in the future. What do you want them to remember or take away from your experience? That, and that's such a beautiful question, and thank you so much. Um, honestly, that um, we're all connected. We're all one. Um, and, you know, we're, we're made from love, and we're here to love. We're here to be kind and compassionate and to love. And that starts with loving yourself, you know, having that self-love, having that self-worth, having that self-respect. Um, and then and you have that internally from within. You can love others, be kind and compassionate to others. Um, learn and practice forgiveness. That's very, very important, um, especially if you want to be able to learn your lessons and to, to be able to cut negative relationships to move forward. So learn and practice forgiveness. Um, and then I feel um, to live authentically. You know, be yourself. Be who you are. Do what you want. Do what you love. It doesn't matter what other people think. They're not you and they're not living your life. Mm-hmm. And I feel like those are those are the most important things that I would want my children, grandchildren, great-great-great-great-great-children, <laughs> my family and friends to know. Great, great words to live by and great advice. So. Well, thank you again, Heidi. Uh, really enjoyed it. And, um, of course, uh, we mentioned on the last podcast we're right now developing a way for our listeners to submit some questions. And so uh, uh, we uh, may ask you to come back on the show. Would you uh, be interested in doing that? I would absolutely love that. It, uh, I'm sure. I'm sure that there are people that are going to have questions and I'm more than happy to answer any questions, you know, based on my experiences and um, maybe give some people some answers and some, some peace. And yes, I would love it. So anytime I would love to come back and, and talk with you and your listeners. Wonderful. Well, thank you again. Thank you so much, Scott. This was great. And I love what you do. Thank you for your work. Oh. It's, it's appreciated and it's thank you. Uh, I'm humbled by that, but the uh, the the pleasure is all mine. I, I have a blast doing this, and uh, because of guests like you, it makes it so much fun. Thank you.